On today's episode, the three essential types of running with Dwayne Scotty. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. interviewing Dwayne Scotty. If you aren't familiar with the Healthy Runner podcast or the Healthy Runner Facebook group, Dwayne is the creator of those. He does a brilliant job. I uh, grabbed him to to appear on my podcast to talk about the three types of running. He has this as an episode on his podcast and I thought I'd extract his knowledge and get him on to discuss exactly the same thing. Um, I won't give away too much of what the types of running actually are, but I have discussed on the podcast in the past this gray zone that a lot of runners tend to fall into. They do something which is a little bit quick, not too easy, and they don't go too easy on their easy days, which means they can't go hard enough on their hard days, and they end up just really just following this sameness, this gray zone, because they're under, they're, they haven't recovered enough to push themselves too hard. And when it is time for those recovery sessions, they end up going a bit too fast. So in the ways that we need to train smarter, we also need to vary up our runs and give a good explanation of the the three types of running and when you should implement it, how frequently should you implement it, what are the adaptations or what are the benefits of each exercise. So Dwayne does a very good job of explaining all of those. And the result is a beautiful podcast episode. Straight after we did this interview, I jumped onto his podcast or I jumped into his Facebook group actually, and we did a live and um, had a chat about changing running technique or looking at if we do need to change someone's running technique. And um, he was grateful enough to give me the audio, which I'll put on my podcast in about two months time. So we're working well together. It's the one-two punch combo. And I was very grateful that he was happy to come on the podcast and share his knowledge. So let's take it away with Dwayne Scotty. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I've been a longtime listener and I'm super excited to come on your show, Brody. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, a lot of listeners have um, jumped over to your podcast and I actually get a lot of listeners from your podcast as well, just chatting in the Facebook group and finding like, how did you discover the podcast? And a lot of them say like, um, from Dwayne Scotty and his Facebook group and his podcast. And so I want to thank you as well for having this sort of mutual, uh, audience. And so if those aren't familiar with you, can you maybe just give a brief intro, like, and introduce your podcast and your Facebook group and those sort of things? No, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so like yourself, Brody, I am a running physio, or as we call it over here in the United States, a physical therapist, and I'm a run coach as well as the host of the Healthy Runner podcast and uh, founding owner of Spark Physical Therapy. And I do have a Healthy Runner uh, Facebook community, as you mentioned, where really my goal and my passion really is helping runners kind of feel strong, confident, so they can stay healthy and become a lifelong injury-free runner. So I know you uh, possess the same values as I do. And I think that's why we get along so well. And a lot of our listeners like to listen to each other's uh, episodes because we share a lot of the same values. And I'm really looking forward to this talk on training and types of runs because 
as a physical therapist, you know, we see a lot of injured runners. We hear about, you know, the common ITB pain, plantar fasciitis, runner's knee. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel like 80 to 90% of those patients, it's really due to training errors that they're getting these conditions to begin with. So that is really why I wanted to further my education, not only from a clinical standpoint, but really from a coaching standpoint and learn more about the types of runs and how important the training is in keeping us healthy uh, overall. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be running till I'm literally in the box. And my goal is to be a lifelong runner. And if I can help others along the way, along my journey, because I've learned a lot as I've been running. And if we can share that with others, and because we know like the benefits of running, right? And it's going to keep us healthy and it's going to give us some longevity. And that's my goal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what gave me the idea to, um, like, I actually listened to your episode talking about the three types of running on your podcast. I'm like, perfect. I need this. I need this sort of information as a topic, as an episode. So that's why I've roped you in to, to discuss it and pretty much just repeat what you said on that last episode. Um, so what before we get started, uh, is there any training philosophies that or training mistakes that you see new runners making what they think how they should be training um where are some common errors that you you see yeah well this actually honestly i can be the the n of one subject that (laughs) it's really started uh with me and so just to kind of share my running story brody is i'm an adult onset runner so i started running when i was 31 years old And I really started running after my hip arthroscopy. So I had a labral tear in my hip. And unfortunately, even though as strong as I got my glutes, my abductors, I was not able to uh, treat it uh, conservatively. I wound up having a loose body in there. So they went in, did the surgery, removed the loose body, had a labral repair. And I remember my surgeon said that you know, don't run on the treadmill. And I used to be kind of a gym rat and just work out in the gym and just ran for a quote unquote cardio, right. To lean down a little bit. And he's like, don't run on the treadmill just because of the forces, the anterior shear forces to the femoral head of where they did the surgery. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? He's like, run outside. And I'm on the East coast here in the United States, Brody, and it is cold in the winter. And this was like February, March, And I'm like, seriously, you want me to run outside in 20, 30 degree weather? And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So I tried it and started running. Long story short, fell in love with running and just being outside, that mental release that you get going for a run and started challenging myself of, hey, maybe I could do this running thing outside and ran a 5K. And then, you know, you challenge yourself, try to beat that time. And then you're trying to get faster and then you're trying to run more distance. So it's like, ooh, can I do a 10K? Can I do a half marathon? And as I was doing that, I was literally going out there trying to run as hard as I could every single time I hit the pavement. And what happened? I started getting proximal hamstring tendinopathy, right? So I know you have a podcast on that. And that was the first running related injury that I got myself and started to get plantar fasciitis about six to nine months after that. And then started to get runner's knee. So as I was getting these kind of common running related injuries and being a physical therapist who's treated many runners with these conditions before, I kind of knew the treatment. I knew the prevention, started implementing the prevention strategies, but then was realizing, hey, it is the training I'm doing and I'm actually not training correctly to stay healthy. And this is the most common thing that I see on an everyday every single day, whether I'm working with someone virtually, in person, um, it is these kind of training errors. And the thought that if we go out and run, it needs to be a hard effort or it needs to work up a sweat. And, you know, depending upon what your motivations are for running, some people do it for weight loss. So they feel like they need to have a really sweaty, hard workout. And if you don't have a hard workout, that means you're not going to lose weight or, If you want to run a half marathon, then you have to go out there and run long because if you don't, then you're not going to be able to run a half marathon. Or if you want to run a fast 5K, you need to do sprints because that's going to get you faster. And every time you run, you should be doing sprints. 
And as we know, that is not the case. And that is just the biggest recipe for disaster and suffering one of those common running related injuries that I mentioned. Yeah, I think it's a a very common um, mistake that new runners make until they, they kind of learn the wrong way. They they learn because they get injured and they think, oh, maybe I need to make some adjustments. But learning to run slow is the one of the biggest lessons that a new runner will make because they think they get these images of a workout and they get the images of exercising if they're not a runner and they're used to like maybe doing gym classes or maybe doing spin classes or like just building up a lot of sweat and like really feeling like a burn in the, in the muscles, feeling fatigue. And if you go out with that same mentality and just try and run with that, trying to get a sweat on, trying to get fatigue in the legs, you're quickly going to run into like exceeding your adaptation zone very quickly. It might not be when you very first start running because you might be only lasting 10 minutes before you're keeled over and having your hands on your knees and taking in the deep breaths. But if you get fitter and then that blows into say 20 minutes and 25 minutes and 30 minutes, then your body's just going to start breaking down. It's you're going to reach a limit where you're going to be exceeding your adaptation zone. And I was actually talking to a guy a couple of months ago and he said, when he first started running, he was trying to physically hit the ground harder with his feet because that's what he thought running was. And he thought that if he was being quite light and quite, um, yeah, quite soft and quiet with his running, then he was kind of cheating. And so that was another um, myth that I heard. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's like the opposite. You're going to give yourself a stress fracture or something. But I think that's exactly why we decided to, to come up with this topic. And you do have three types of running that we want to discuss. And so let's dive into the first one and kind of explain uh, or give us the explanation of it. Yeah. So the first run is really the largest percentage of our runs should be in this zone or this easy conversational pace run that we call it. And it really needs to be making up 70 to 80% of our weekly mileage. And that is really how we form our base training. So let me take one step back and say, what is base training? Because I had no clue what base training was when I was a new runner and people would throw around the term and I'd be like, what is base training? Are we talking about like on a military base? I really didn't know what it was. <laughs> Man so Everest, it is, something like that. <laughs> it is really allowing your body to get to that point that it started that adaptation process that you talked about, Brody, where your body now has some mileage under your legs and you have some running fitness built up. And if you try to do too much too soon before that running fitness is built up or that base level of training, then that is going to be the recipe for disaster where we exceed the load capacity of our tissues. And then we start having these tendon problems, tendon pain, aches and pains along the way. And then we say, I'm not built to be a runner. I'm not supposed to be a runner, right? How many of you have felt like that? I know I felt like that in the beginning and said, I was never going to be a runner. And that's the other thing, Brody, I think misconception wise to what you talked about before is honestly, I feel that pretty much anybody could be a runner and anyone can run. The problem is we're just not patient enough to allow our bodies to adapt to the demands of running. And we try to do too much too soon. So if you do it the right way and you, you go in a slow progressive fashion and you do all of the strength work, stability work, soft tissue care that you need to do in order to stay healthy, pretty much anyone can run, right? So going back to this first type of run, the conversation pace or the easy pace run, this is going to really be used for your short runs, your medium runs, your long runs. So all of your long runs should be here unless you're an elite, essentially, is what it comes down to, where they sprinkle in some workouts into their longer runs. But I know for myself, the recreational runner, um, you know, all my long runs are at conversation, easy pace. So we really want to think of if you're a beginner, 100% of your runs are in this, this type of run. This is the only runs you should be doing all throughout the week. And then if you have that base level of training and that base, we use roughly around 500 miles under your legs. 
And then you have that base established. For us over here now, we're hitting, heading into spring. So for most runners, if you've started running a little bit more consistently, sometimes around the holidays in November, December, people slack off to finish off the year. And then first of the year happens and people get more consistent. So really these first three months, I know in all the runners I work with is kind of that like base level of training. We're getting our running fitness back. We're working on strength and we're really working on some good increase in mileage at conversation pace before we add in the next two runs that we're going to be talking about. And I think, um, when you, what, another myth kind of came to me when you were um, talking about that, you said that we should do our conversational pace with our short runs as well. I think there was uh, what I tended to fall into as a runner was, okay, my short run should be the fast runs. My medium sort of distance run should be kind of like challenging, but should be able to sustain it. And my long run should be the conversational pace. And so you're just saying no matter what type of run it is, as long as it falls within that 70, 80% of your, weekly mileage, monthly mileage, it should be at this conversation pace. Is that right? Indeed. Yes, absolutely. Because those shorter, honestly, easy runs, our body needs for more active recovery, right? Mm. So you want to sprinkle in some of those, depending upon, again, the level of runner you are, you definitely want to have at minimum, you know, one of those short, easy runs in your calendar for your weekly calendar. And really the benefits of these conversational pace runs is it's going to train our cardiovascular system and our musculoskeletal system to efficiently absorb the liver and utilize oxygen while it also helps remove the waste products. So that's like the carbon dioxide, the lactic acid that builds up in our muscles. And really the biggest benefit, this kind of aerobic base, or we say build up your aerobic capacity is at the cellular level it really increases the number and the size of the mitochondria, which are these little like parts of the cell that give us energy, right? It gives our body energy. And this could help improve our muscles ability to receive and process oxygen and helps conserve our stores of glycogen, which is our energy stores, right? And that's like, if you think about, you might've heard about maybe carb loading in order to like increase your glycogen stores before a race, right? So the more aerobic base we have or capacity, then we're able to actually process our oxygen and conserve some of that glycogen. So essentially we're more efficient at running slower for a longer duration of time. So then we can build up those long runs for like half marathon training, full marathon training, as well as our weekly training volume. Hmm. And then and I think if we're going back to just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow like my universal principles, like back in episode two, I had frequency is the key, which is the more like you want to train within your adaptation zone. You don't want to underload yourself. Like if you go for a five minute walk, yes, it's putting load through your body, but for most of us, it's not going to trigger enough. It's not going to be enough load to trigger adaptation. However, if you exceed that, if you exceed your uh, adaptation zone, that's when the body starts breaking down rather than building up. But we do know that, the more frequent you hit that adaptation zone, let's just say you go for a run two times a week compared to five times a week. It's the ones who run five times a week within that adaptation zone. They're going to adapt quicker. And so if we're doing our, even our short runs and doing it slow, that's still enough to hit your adaptation zone. You're still pounding the pavement. You're still getting two times your body weight going through your body every single step that you take. But what you're saying is it's, it's enough to like, trigger adaptation, get all these cardiovascular benefits, but it's not enough to really tire and fatigue the body. So it doesn't need as much recovery so that we can train smart and do these things. So we can run for five times a week, sometimes more and, and still have that recovery, still have enough for the body to bounce back, absorb the load. And when it comes to your harder sessions or your 
top tier or your longer runs, then your body's recovered enough for that. Is that right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And you brought up a good point about the musculoskeletal system, right? So that's what we see a lot of. And those folks with, you know, uh, shin splints or possible stress fractures or Achilles pain, right? So it allows those tendons, ligaments, joints, bones to adapt to those stresses that you're talking about in a progressive fashion without doing too much overload. So even though we're not getting a hard workout where we're short of breath and we're like panting and saying like, oh man, this is the hardest workout I've ever done. It's still benefiting our body from a cellular level. And then also from a musculoskeletal perspective, and it's helping to build some of that load capacity in our tissues that we're going to need eventually for the harder stuff. Mm, yeah. And we call it conversational pace running because you're meant to be like, if you're running with someone, you, you should be at an intensity where you can comfortably talk to them without feeling like every couple of seconds you need to bre break to take a breath. And so uh, that's where the intensity comes from. If someone doesn't have someone running with them, how do they know that they're in this, um, this correct intensity? Because I know some people, will get carried away if they're running by themselves and say, I'm actually feeling pretty good. And like maybe consciously, unconsciously, they start going a little bit faster and a little bit faster. So are there any cues? Are there any signs? Are there anything that we can find that we've hit the right zone? Absolutely. So if you do have your smartwatch and you're using like a Garmin or whatever tracking device, you know, you could look at percentage of your max heart rate. So this is where we're about 70 to 80%, or sometimes they'll have it in zones like zone two or zone three. We're familiar with those, but honestly, the easiest thing I tell my runners is perceived effort. Like there are different ways we can measure this, but just go on your perceived effort. And how hard is this effort on the scale from zero to 10? And this is where we should be at a five or a six. So definitely not anything above that. And like you said, the best test is, can I keep a conversation with someone? And for us, we do like a kind of team half marathon training program. And, you know, that's a test for me is on these long runs is, can I actually keep a conversation with someone? And if I can't, then I know that I'm probably going a little fast. And sometimes when you get in a group setting, we have a tendency to do this. It's like, you just start increasing your pace because you're running with someone. And then I'll look at my watch and be like, whoa, this is definitely faster than I should be going for my conversation pace. And then I'll usually, you know, let whoever I'm running with, if we're, you know, staying around the same uh, pace, let them know that, hey, we got to slow this down a little bit because I noticed I was trying to keep a conversation. I was starting to get short of breath. So that's, mm. that's the easiest test is really a five or six on that scale of 10. And like you said, be able to hold that conversation. Yeah. I've got a few other ideas. Um, if you don't have some with you to talk to, uh, if you listen to music, maybe try singing. Maybe if you, you're that, that singing type that likes running and um, if you just want to sing for 20, 30 seconds and see if you get short of breath, whistling is another one to, uh, I, I sometimes used to whistle just to see if my breath's under control, but now I listen to a lot of podcasts when I run. And one thing that I like doing is just seeing if I can comfortably breathe through my nose and I'll know like, it, I have a pretty good feeling when it comes to um, the RPEs, the rate of perceived exertion. And it, it, it kind of feels like the pace that you're going, I could do this for two hours. It's kind of like that, that sort of intensity. Um, but I just like to see how long I can breathe through my nose. And if I can do that comfortably, I know that I'm pretty at a pretty low intensity. Whereas if I'm going quite hard, I take like two breaths in through my nose. Then I need to take a big breath of air through my mouth because that like you sort of at that intensity where you acquire that amount of oxygen. So a few little tips there that people might play around with. If you're a numbers person, then maybe percentage of heart rate max might be a good one, but a few little tips for, for people to try. Yeah, those are great. I love those. And so we've gone through um, building up a base and it's what I like to call like a foundation. So what we're doing with this conversation pace is exactly the same term, but um, we want to build a foundation before we start to pile things on and sort of build a house or build a tower. And this combo pace of 70 to 80% of our overall running is sort of building that base and building that, laying that foundation then we need to start putting um, other types of run on top of that to see how the, the body will go and sort of challenge the body in different ways. Should, as a new runner who's just working on their foundation, 
should they also be doing these other types of runs or should they just be sticking to this conversational pace running um, and wait till the foundation is built before piling on these other types of running? Absolutely. So just like a house, right? We need a nice, strong foundation. So that's the bottom level of our pyramid. And at this time, this is where you definitely want to be doing your strength training, right? And your stability work and training on one leg, because those are the principles and also give you that foundational strength to be able to progress to the next level, right? So if you haven't mastered kind of level one, then if you jump to level two, then that's when you're going to open yourself up to injuries like we had talked about before. And, you know, using that around 500 mile mark is a nice rough estimate for new runners. If it's an experienced runner who is just kind of out of the game for a little bit, maybe they had an injury, but they're an experienced, let's say half marathoner, um, then you could probably have a base training when they have their comeback uh, from their injury, as long as their symptoms are okay of, you know, a little bit less than that. Like I said, you know, maybe they're doing 20, 25 miles a week for a good three months, you know, at, at that point, three to four months, that might be enough for someone who is an experienced runner. And it is, there is something to be said about runners who have that kind of running fitness and, and the experience in their legs and under their feet, um, versus the new beginner runner. So for the new beginner runners listening to this, you know, Brody and I definitely would highly recommend you master this base level training first. And before you progress to kind of these next runs that we're going to be talking about, even though these next runs we're going to talk about usually get all the publicity, you know, they're a bit sexier, they, they're more fun to do, maybe um, you really need to, I can't stress how important it is to master that conversational piece and that base training first. Okay. So let's um, jump into running type number two. Yeah. So this is like the second level. So this would be our tempo runs or our threshold, or some people call it lactate threshold runs. So this should be the next step. And this is probably the other most common mistake I see in runners. They go from easy runs to doing sprints mm -hmm. and they don't master the in-between phase yet. And this is where I am actually in my training, even though I've done 27 half marathons, I, again, in December, you know, kind of went down in my mileage. It was like a recovery month. And then now I've been building up. I'm on my third month where I've worked in my tempo runs and I have not done any speed work, even though I have a half marathon in five weeks from now. I have not done any intervals, even though I love doing intervals. I love hitting the track and I love those hard effort sessions. But I know that if I jump to that stage without taking care of level two, then that's just going to open me up for a running related injury. So this level two is the tempo run. This is a form of strength running. They call it. Um, these are like your strength workouts, other forms, not as common that you might've heard about is doing hill repeats or doing fart licks. So those are other runs that would be in this category. We're going to focus on the most common one. And I would say for the runners I work with, the easiest one to implement in their training if they don't have hills next to them. And especially if you are a beginner runner and now you're ready for that next level, phase two, I would definitely have you start with these tempo runs. Um, fart licks are kind of a little different animal where it's more random and it's more fun and to mix it up just to give your mind a little bit of kind of uh, pleasure on your run. If you're just getting bored um, where you, it is more random, where you go a little bit faster for a certain distance and you play around with that. But let's talk about the tempo or the threshold run. This is a little harder effort. So you're going at a faster pace. So if we're looking at perceived effort, we're talking like a seven or an eight out of 10 scale. If we're talking heart rates, we're talking 80 to 92% of your max heart rates. Now we're getting to zone four. If you're following along on your Garmin and the benefits here is really training that cardiovascular system uh, to be even more efficient at removing some of that waste. We're improving the lactate threshold and we're promoting more efficient running form. And this is key, honestly, and where from a, 
you know, physio perspective I like is that we're getting more efficient. We're teaching our legs how to move a little faster and maybe spending less time on the ground than you would for your easy runs. And it also provides that level of low-grade discomfort that your body needs to adapt to. And if your goal is to run a race, you are going to have some discomfort in your first race, whether it's 5K, half marathon, right, 10K, whatever race you're running, there's going to be discomfort. So training in these threshold or these tempo runs will get your body starting to adapt to some of that comfort and makes you a little bit more efficient. And it is really, these shouldn't be super hard. So you're not running, you know, this is not a sprint, but you are running at a faster pace and you really should be able to maintain this pace anywhere from like 20 minutes to 30 minutes. That's usually the sweet spot. And we sandwich this faster pace in between a mile of easy running conversational pace, and then another mile of easy running on the back end. So it's the middle portion of your running workout that goes at this faster pace or this tempo pace. Yeah. And this is where it can kind of get maybe creative or maybe complicated because how do we know how long we should have this up the intensity, this tempo run? How, how do we know where to start? How do we know? Like, cause pace is very subjective. Should we be sprinting it out? Like I think some people are mentally strong enough just to really go quite strong for 20 minutes. Um, whereas others like they might think they're running at a faster pace when they're actually going a bit too slow. And so, like you said, we can look at heart rate max and kind of find that intensity there. But is that what you recommend? Like if people haven't done tempo runs before, should they start with that one mile or say 2k, um, warm up and then try running for 20 or 30 minutes and then having that cool down? Like, where do they start? What sort of, um, what should they be feeling? What should they be experiencing? Yeah. So for a beginner or novice, I would say, you know, if you're going out there, let's just use easy numbers here. Let's say you're doing a a 10 minute, you know, pace, um, for your easy conversational pace and you know what that feels like, and you're at that five or six, then I would say, try to go a little faster and let's see if, you know, you're probably going to be around a nine minute pace. That's going to get you to a seven or an eight on your kind of perceived exertion, maybe even a little less, honestly, in the upper eights, um, pace wise, but you should feel like you can't hold a conversation anymore. So you can only get out a couple words if you were trying to talk to someone. So it's not super hard, but it's definitely not easy. Your breathing has increased. You can only get out a couple of words and you should try to maintain that pace for that length of time. So for beginners, I would have them start with one mile, basically, you know, interval sandwiched in between. And then we work up to two and then eventually build that up to three miles where you can go for a five mile run, let's say in like the end of a half marathon training plan where you're doing a five mile tempo where you're doing three miles in the middle at this faster tempo speed. And you're now maintaining that for three miles. So essentially you're running like a 5k in the middle, right. Of your, of your workout where you warm up and cool down. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, it, it does come back to being patient for a runner. I do think like you can't just jump straight into tempo runs and do a 20, 30 minute, like really hard effort. Um, and especially if you haven't done any tempo work before, I think for me, if I was, if someone came to me and said, okay, I want to start doing tempo runs. I haven't done a lot of fast speed work at all, or for a very long time coming back from an injury when, how do I know when I'm ready? Um, I'd probably look at the individual and say, okay, what's their base foundation? Like how much mileage are they getting per week? What is their strength? Like, like how active are they in the gym? How heavy are they lifting? And just trying to get a real general sense of, how much load we can put them through and then probably starting quite conservative just for the first couple of runs, just to see how they'll go. Because I do think that people would underestimate how much load goes through their body when they start picking up the the speed and picking up the pace. Uh, You're looking at, you know, two times your body weight per step builds up to three to four times your body weight per step. If you're picking up that intensity 
And if that accumulates step over step over step for 15, 20, 25 minutes, that overall load might just um, creep up outside of that adaptation zone and you might start getting things like Achilles issues or plantar fasciitis or these injuries that will like are designed to propel you forward or use those muscles that propel you forward. And so same, the same way that we return from running, I always say you want to start off at an embarrassingly slow, embarrassingly short run. Um, When you're doing your tempo runs, it can just be very gradual to start with, but the overall aim, we want to know that the overall goal is to trigger the cardiovascular system in a different way. So once we know that we're able to, um, tolerate that, that intensity for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, slowly build up, get there, reach that intensity where you're working at like a, an eight out of 10, um, in that perceived exertion, because that's when we know that we're triggering that cardiovascular response and we're sort of adapting to that uncomfortable intensity. Like you said, I think that you laid that out perfectly because we want to get used to discomfort because during races and whenever you want to perform for like a PB or something, there will be moments of discomfort and it's calibrating your body to kind of recognize that discomfort and know that you can kind of push through it or even adapt to it. And your new discomfort level is a bit higher and a bit more elevated. So I think that's a, I think that's a good way of just summing things up. Is there anything you want to add in there that, uh, that I might've skipped over? No, I think that's great. I think okay. that's a nice uh, summary of kind of that level two uh, part of the pyramid. And if someone wants to start to this level, level two, are we ta- how often are we doing it? Are we doing it once a week? Are we doing it like twice a week? No, definitely once a week. Yeah, okay. only once a week. So absolutely no more than once a week. Right, good. Um, good to know. Is there ever a point where people should be doing less than once a week, like once every 10 days, or is there a time where people should be doing more than once a week? Honestly, for many of the runners I've worked with, especially like even come back from injuries, if they can't do once a week, then they're probably not ready, honestly, for that, that type of run, um, or they're running them too fast. So that's where, you know, there are many different calculators out there that you can calculate if you have someone's recent race time that you can put in, what is their pace? And then you can find out what they should be training at for their threshold runs. So you can easily calculate that. And then you can ask them, you know, for all the runners I coach, you know, I can see what their runs are. Everything syncs from watches nowadays. So I can see actually the paces they ran their tempo runs. So I will write in the comment section too, Hey, how did this feel for you? on a scale from zero to 10. And if they're telling me like a seven to eight and I'm looking at their pace and what I predicted is not what they did if they went faster. And then they're like, yeah, it was like an eight or a nine. And I'm like, well, that's not where I want you to be for a tempo run. So we need to scale that down a little bit. And even just learning how fast and how you know much you should be pushing your body is is a learning curve for many runners and finding that pace that you are comfortable with. And, and, and that's where we learn. That's where a coach can come in handy um, to give you those little cues and reminders um, because a lot of times we'll do too much. If you leave us uh, out on our own, uh, many of us runners will definitely uh, go on the other side of the spectrum where we're doing too much than what really the training calls for. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that one. And like you said, like this tempo run should have your like a one mile, 2K something run at the start and at the end. And so if you're going through this tempo phase and by the end of the 15, 20 minutes, you keeled over and you can't sort of continue a jog, you're probably going at way too high of an intensity. Whereas all you need to do is peg back to a, a jog and you're kind of doing this cool down or slow finish. Um, that's you're probably hitting a good intensity if you, you feel like you, you don't need to stop and you can just continue running at a, um, at a slow pace. So that's probably a good indication as well. Uh, all right. So let's dive into the, the third type of running that we want to discuss today. Yeah. So this third phase is, this is the, what we call the fun stuff, right? This is the intervals, but before we get to the fun stuff, really what you need to make sure that you are doing is you should only be progressing to intervals if you are running greater than 20 miles per week. So you have this consistent level of base running training volume in your week, and you should have already completed 
the prerequisites that we talked about in level two, either tempo runs, hill, hill repeats, or fart licks already. Because again, those were at a slower pace than what you would do your intervals at. And the benefits here are going to be the same benefits that we talked about for the temple run, but the greatest benefit, and this is where the, these runs can literally be a game changer for you. If you are looking to PR or PB your next race is that we're going to improve your fast twitch muscle ability. So just like I know Brody, you're a big fan of plyometric training, just like I am where we're working those fast twitch muscle fibers, we're training them. So then in the later phases of our race, in the last couple of miles of your half marathon or the last couple of, the uh, last 5K of your marathon, right? You're not like totally petering out and um, going flat. You actually can tap in to some fast twitch muscles to help out the slow twitch guys to kind of power you through the end of your race. Um, and it also increases your strength and improves your form. So again, improves that running efficiency with your leg turnover, with your form. And the biggest thing though, and, and this is where we run into problems. The risks are that this can significantly increase your chance of soft tissue injury. And this is probably the biggest take home. Again, if you're not ready for this stage, then you are going to be putting your body more at risk for soft tissue injury. If you haven't fulfilled the prerequisites of kind of that base training and then the level two runs and have done your strength training, have trained plyometrically and trained your muscles to respond in that explosive fashion, because now you're running faster for shorter periods of time. And the overall thing is that, you know, the other, I guess, risk or negative effect of these is possibly leading to over fatigue and waste product buildup during your weekly training. So that, if you're not allowing that recovery in between these harder efforts, then that can lead to overtraining essentially. Absolutely agree with that one. So what might it practically look like if someone hasn't done this before? What might a, a first interval session look like? So it all depends upon what your goal race is. So for, again, most of the runners that I see Brody and work with are usually half marathon distance folks or 10 Kers um, or even marathon. So if you're running those longer distances, then when you start training intervals, this is the other big mistake I see many runners do. And hey, I was there. I was totally there because you watch the Olympics and you're like Usain Bolt. He runs hundred meters look at him. He's like super fast. I'm going to run the hundred and I'm just going to do that like 10 times. If you're not running literally a hundred meter dash, right. For your event in your race, then you shouldn't be running a hundred meters because your body actually functions differently for those really short, short intervals. So anything less than 400 meters, which is one lap around the track, you pretty much should not be doing if your goal race is marathon, half marathon, even 10K. If you're a 5Ker, then possibly you might have some repeat 400s in there, but you're really looking at repeat 800s, which is two times around the track, right? Or a half a mile for those that don't have access to a track, they could still track it half mile on their watch, or they know the distance with a half mile from their house. And they can do these half mile repeats or repeat 800s. And that's where I'll usually start out my half marathoners, my 10K runners is doing repeat 800. So you'd run for 800 meters, two laps around the track, and then you recover for probably half that distance for like 400 meters. So one lap around the track either jogging super slowly or even walking at times to get your heart rate back down to its resting level before you go out for the next effort, because that next effort is a hard effort. And that's the whole goal of this type of training is, like I said, to improve your strength, your running form and your fast twitch muscle fibers. In order to do that, you have to get back down. Your heart rate needs to lower enough because now you're pushing yourself at a perceived exertion level of an eight or a nine on that scale of 10, or your max heart rate's going to 80, 90%, 
you're not able to say any words while you're doing this, right? So your breathing is going to be super heavy. Hence why you can't sustain it for a super long time, right? So you want to think about doing more of those longer intervals first. So repeat 800s, and then we've progressed to kind of repeat 1200s, which is three laps around the track or 1600s, which are repeat miles, basically. So four times around the track, especially if you're training for the marathon, you definitely need to do repeat miles. If you're doing repeat 400s, you're doing your body a disservice for the event that you're training for. And for okay. those that are ex really experienced Brody uh, in the elite levels, they will do those shorter efforts and longer efforts. But mm. again, that's the really experienced runner where they are able to do those shorter kind of intervals as well. Yeah. And I think when I asked the question with the first two, with the conversation pace and the tempo runs, trying to say, how do we know we've hit the right intensity? Whereas for intervals, I think people can usually calibrate and find their intensity after like one or two sessions of doing this. They kind of know what pace um, by the end of the 800 meters or by the end of the, the K or the mile when they will feel like they've kind of maxed out, not maxed, but, you know, sort of reached that max effort for that distance. Um, and then they have to go into a walk or go into a really, really slow jog. Um, so people can kind of find their limit quite easily, but it's the other two where you're kind of in between um, where the, the gray areas kind of get, get a bit fuzzy. Uh, so my next question is for this sort of tempo style or oh, this interval style, is it for every runner, every recreational endurance runner? Should we all be doing these or is it only just for some of us? No. Yeah. I, I think if you have a, a significant injury history and you're listening to this and you really aren't fully recovered from your injury, you're having pain currently, you know, you always get that nagging ITB pain Um and you're not dedicated to really strength training, you're not doing it two to three times a week, I would say it really doesn't serve you well to do this type of run. This is going to be really for the runner who has covered all their bases. They're doing what they should be doing in terms of strength training, plyometric training, base training. They're, and they have a goal race that they want to improve their time. So they want to get faster in a specific goal race this is how you are going to shave some time and get a PB on your next half marathon or your next marathon is by adding in these intervals and strategically progressively adding them in as well and not killing yourself with doing, you know, eight repeats of, you know, 1200s or 1600s right off the bat. So for my runners, I will progress the number of repetitions. They do these repeats in a progressive fashion, just like we do with strength training, just like we do with mileage, right? And that's the other thing I didn't mention yet, Brody, is that this interval training or this speed work should never be done as you're increasing your weekly training volume as well. So if you're looking at going from 25 to 30 to 35 to 40 miles per week, you should not be increasing mileage while you are increasing all of the speed work into your training. Well said. Yeah. I do think um, if someone is injured that uh, they definitely shouldn't try to be maxing out, but yeah, so it's um, glad you clarified on that just quickly. If someone is said, okay, Dwayne, like you, you want me to do strength training. You want me to do these three types of running. You want me to do plyometric exercise. Well, how am I fitting this into my week? How am I structuring it? Like, is it achievable to fit into one week? Or are we doing like a 10 day cycle? Or how is it practically going to be laid out? No, great question. And a lot of the runners I work with uh, uh, struggle with this, right? Because we're all pressed for time nowadays. And I think the most important thing is you need to think about training in order to run as opposed to running as your form of training, right? It, either to get healthy or if you have, you know, heart condition or if you're looking for weight loss, don't think of running as going to get you in shape. You need to train in order to run. So you need to prioritize that strength training first. So if you are a novice, the beginners I work with, we do two days of strength training. And if you're really pressed for time and you don't have it, you have, you know, kids in the house, you're managing the house, work, kids, all that stuff. I get it. I do the same thing. Then we give you like 30 minutes of strength training. And then for my more 
let's say people who have a little bit more free time. And like for me, Brody, my hobby has always been strength training. Like I mentioned, you know, gym rat and running. So I don't golf. I don't cycle. I don't go out there for like a four or five hour ride or four or five hour round of golf or, you know, something that takes a really long period of time. My extra time in my week, my hobby is working out and running. So for me, I have the time to do that. So if you have the time, then I usually recommend an hour to an hour and a half, honestly, three times a week of doing your strength, stability, flexibility work in the gym, taking care of those soft tissues so you can recover after your runs. Um, But it can be done in 30 minutes in an efficient way to really build up that strength to make you a stronger, more resilient runner. Yeah. Well said. Cool. Uh, if people want to jump into your like Facebook group or have a listen to your podcast as well, where can they go? What links should I include in the show notes? Yeah. So the kind of home base is sparkyourtraining.com. Um, and I'm found on all the socials at sparkyourtraining. Um, Instagram active, uh, YouTube channel. You can get all of the exercise videos there and it's the healthy runner podcast and the healthy runner Facebook group. So you just search that in Facebook and that will pop up, get the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And yeah, I would love to be able to, you know, help more runners really, you know, I have a passion for doing what you do. Like I love all of the content you share and you share some great, great things. I listen to your podcast during my runs, like you, all those easy conversational pace runs we talked about. I listen to podcasts from my intervals. Then I listen to some fast music to kind of push me to the limits I need to get to. But I, I got you in my ears, Brody, every <laughs> time I'm doing my longer, easy runs or even the shorter, easy runs. So yeah. thank you for including those. You're welcome. And what I love about your podcast as well and your Facebook group is you actually do them live. And so people can interact and ask questions, which I'm thinking about doing in the future. Um, I think it's a nice concept to do every now and then, but I just love that concept. I love the, it creates a more of a community kind of engagement, which is really nice. So um, the Healthy Runner Facebook group, if you want to dive in and listen to Dwayne talk to other uh, podcast guests and the other health professionals he has on, it's a really nice touch. So jump onto it. The links will be in the show notes. Dwayne Scotty, thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge. You're welcome. This was great. Thanks for having me, Brody. I appreciate it. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.